Amen. Praise God. All right. Are you ready to jump into it? Praise the Lord. Turn to our master text in Genesis chapter 1. That's an easy one to find. Genesis chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that last week I did a teaching called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And in that teaching, I talked a little bit about the power of declaration when it comes to prayer. So in that same vein, I believe the Lord has led me to take a step back today and give you a little bit of context about our authority when it comes to prayer and declaration. Because, see, without understanding the authority that's been delegated to us as believers, um, our prayer lives are always going to be just a little bit hindered, okay? So I want you to keep an open heart and mind today because what I'm going to be teaching is... uh, not exactly in line with modernized, Americanized Christianity. It's in the Bible, and that'll be very clear as the teaching unfolds, but um, what I'm going to be teaching today may not be something that's very commonly taught or heard in Americanized, modernized Christianity. So just keep an open mind today, if you will. So with that said, let's read our master text. Genesis chapter 1, stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And I'm going to be starting in verse, it's a really short master text today, so just uh, what, three, three verses there. So starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, a reference to the Trinity there. Who's God talking to when he says, let us make man in our image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful And if you're reading the New King James Version, it it should say, be fruitful and multiply. My NIV says, be fruitful uh, and increase in number. I believe multiply is the the more appropriate word there. uh, Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And all God's people say, Amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, that's an interesting passage right there. You know, all of our lives, we've heard that we are made in the image of God, right? If you've been raised up in church, you have heard that probably all of our lives, that we're made in the image of God. But have you ever stopped to think about what that really means? I mean, made in the image of God is actually an audacious claim, and one that carries a good bit of responsibility along with it, wouldn't you say? I mean, I think that um, all of us realize that we're not gods, though if we're honest, uh, we would have to admit that a lot of us live our lives as if we are the god of our own lives, even if we would never admit that. Well, the truth is, you are not God, but you are God-like. You've been made in the image of God, so there are some characteristics in you, inborn in you, that are God-like because you're made in the image of God. So let me give you my thesis for this teaching here this morning, okay? So you know where I'm going with this. 
First of all, mankind was created in God's image as vice regents. Another way to understand that term vice regent is co-ruler. Okay? Mankind was created in God's image as vice regents to rule and reign on the earth. And this desire of God for man to co-rule with him has never been revoked. Even after the fall, it was never revoked. It's still God's intention for mankind to be his representatives on the earth and for his children to have dominion. For his children to have dominion. Now, of course, that desire of God has been hindered because of the fall. But once again... That desire is still there, and it was never revoked, okay? So that's my thesis for this morning, so you kind of know where we're going with this. Now, I want to explore that word dominion for a moment that was used there in that master text. Um, that word dominion in the ancient Hebrew is the word radah, and it means to reign, to have dominion, to dominate, and to rule, all right, so listen, God conferred upon the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, the assignment of administration and cultivation of the world and very likely had in mind for the Garden of Eden to expand and to encompass the entire planet eventually as mankind multiplied over the face of the earth. And actually, we see some of that playing out even before Eve was created. Because even before Eve was created, the Bible tells us that God gave Adam, he delegated the, the role, the task of naming all the animals. So whatever Adam named them, that's what they were called because God gave and delegated that authority to him. God didn't step in and say, no, you know, a giraffe, that's not really a good name for that animal. No, he, whatever Adam called them, that's what they were called because God delegated that task and that authority to him. So you might think of it as an arrangement between a renter and a landlord. Okay, now follow this train of thought. The landlord owns the property, but the renter has certain rights and responsibilities delegated by the owner. Follow this now. The renter can manage, decorate, and furnish the property however he wants, right? And the landlord gives him that right. Now, God is the owner of the planet, but he's given certain rights and privileges to the renters, so to speak, which is you and me. And God would likewise honor the choices of the very first renters on the earth, which was Adam and Eve, okay? So, you follow me so far? So, tragically, though, Adam and Eve relinquished their authority to a spiritual outlaw, Satan. And by rebelling against God and allowing themselves to be seduced by the devil or Satan, Adam and Eve experienced what God had previously promised. See, he told them if they ever ate of that forbidden tree that they would die. Now, their physical death wasn't immediate, of course, but death was immediately unleashed on the earth in all of its various and vile forms. And, of course, the process of death began in Adam and Eve at that very moment. They began the process of dying at that very moment. Um, so, similar to how Jacob, you remember when Jacob uh, connived the blessing of the firstborn away from Esau? Well, in, in a similar way, Satan connived 
to steal the authority over the earth away from Adam and Eve and then became its ruler. Now, a lot of people would say, no, God is the ruler of the earth. I'm about to show you what the Bible really says about that. All right? So I want you to know, after the fall, authority in the earth changed hands. After the fall, authority in the earth changed hands. Luke 4, verses 5 through 7, pay very close attention to this. Then the devil, taking him, meaning Jesus, up on a high mountain. This was during Jesus' 40 days of fasting when Satan came to tempt him. Um, So then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, you know Jesus' response there. He said, uh, get away from me. He said, the Bible says, the scriptures say, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Away from me, Satan. So Satan left him at that, at that moment. That's not really my message. My message is is the fact that scriptures tell us that the authority changed hands at the time of the fall, and all authority was then given to Satan at that point. Now, I I want you to pay attention to a word here in that passage, the word delivered, all right? That word delivered in the ancient Hebrew is the word paradidomai, and it describes the act of handing something over to someone else. Why is this important? Well, by disobeying God, Adam effectively transferred over to Satan the authority on this earth that God had originally assigned to him, meaning Adam. Okay, so let's consider our analogy of the renter and the landlord once again. See, if the owner of an office building leased the space to a business and the owner of that business allowed a vagrant to come in off of the street and uh, come in and stay all day and disrupt the business dealings with the customers and and start making demands eventually, well, it would not be the landlord's responsibility uh, to kick out that vagrant. Rather, it's the responsibility of the person who who, uh, is leasing that space and who owns the business, right? So once the lease is signed, the lessee or the renter has jurisdiction of what happens in that space to a large degree from that point forward. See, if if the renter um, or the lessee approached the landlord and said, sir, I have a vagrant that's come in off the street and won't leave, well, the landlord would probably say, well, that's too bad, but that's not my problem. Kick him out. All right, but if the lessee won't throw out the vagrant and then the vagrant continues to be emboldened at that point and brings in some big, heavily armed thugs to help him to take over the day-to-day business dealings and then the, 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 the lessee has then abdicated his authority to an unauthorized person. Are you following me so far? See, the landlord, listen, the landlord is not responsible for the actions or the lack of actions of the renter or the lessee. Okay? In a similar way, God signed over the title of planet Earth to Adam and Eve, and and then they in turn allowed Satan, a vagrant, if you will, to come in and take over. 
And this was, was not God's perfect will, obviously, but he honored their choice. He honored their choice. Thus, it was true from that moment forward that, according to 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And we see a lot of that playing out right before our eyes right now, don't we? Are you awake this morning? Okay, all right. Now, before the time of Christ, the world was in desperate straits, folks, because a spiritual desperado named Satan had taken control, and he is bent on pure evil. As Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. That is Satan's goal. But then he goes on to state his mission. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or other versions of that say, and have it more abundantly. That is Jesus' mission. That's God's mission, is to teach us how to have life and how to have it to the full, or more abundantly to crush the works of Satan in our lives. So that being said then, Jesus came to restore authority to mankind. Jesus came to restore authority to mankind. That was part of his mission. Now, the Father God saw that this world was in the clutches of a cruel tyrant who was crushing the life out of his beloved. The, the same ones in whom he had demonstrated such confidence when, when he created us and delegated his authority to us. Now, Having said that, he, he gave us the commission, as I've already said, to rule over this planet as his vice regents. But we lost control of the world to a twisted, perverted, and shrewd, fallen, angelic being who was now ruling in our place. So in response, God immediately put into motion a plan to strip Satan of his rulership eventually. A plan to take the very form of the humans that he created and then shedding his own blood in order for, for those who trust in him to be free of the grip of that evil one. Praise God. Thus, the reason the Father sent the Son into the world is clearly articulated in 1 John 3.8. Look at the screen. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Praise God. You know, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, mankind was hopelessly dominated by the devil. His control of the earth, folks, was unchallenged. Okay, unchallenged. Even Jesus did not contest the fact that Satan had authority over the kingdoms of the earth when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And going back to that uh, Luke chapter 4 uh, passage that we just read earlier, verse 6, once again, Satan said to Jesus there that the kingdoms of the world, speaking of the kingdoms of the world, uh, Satan said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Remember that? 
Okay. Yet in spite of those rights of ownership over the kingdoms of the earth that Satan possessed, Jesus also then went on to tell his disciples he was now giving them the authority and us to trample on the works of Satan and to overcome all the power of the evil one. As is my custom, I don't say very many things without backing it up with the Bible. So here we go. Luke 10, 19. Behold, Jesus said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, which is analogous to the demonic. That's what that means. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing will in any way hurt you. Amen. That was Jesus' declaration to his disciples. And then, hey, by the way, this was pre-crucifixion and pre-resurrection that he said this. And it just got better from there. See, when Jesus died on the cross and then descended briefly into hell, a powerful and exciting and amazing thing happened. See, the scriptures tell us in Revelation 1.18 that Jesus stripped Satan of the keys to death and hell. And when Jesus returned to the earth briefly to give further instructions to his disciples, he told them in Matthew 28, 18, just before his ascension back to heaven, that all authority in heaven and on earth had now been given to him. And then he was therefore now commissioning them and us to go and enforce his victory by spreading the gospel and advancing his kingdom on the earth. See, he was delegating his power and authority to mankind. you got, you got to get this right here. He was once again delegating his power and authority to mankind yet again. Remember, he did it in the garden. We blew it. Then Jesus came and did what he did, and he's delegating his power and authority to us yet again in order to beat back the forces of hell that have been unleashed on the earth. Yeah, hallelujah. Praise God. Now, Jesus explained in more detail, by the way, how the advancement of his kingdom is to be accomplished in a short address that's now become known as the Great Commission. So let's read that together. Uh, That appears in Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. So let's read. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Let me stop right there. This is the authority that we've been given over the demonic. When we see somebody who is confronted and and, and bondage to a demon, we have the authority to cast that thing out. Now, I realize that most of Americanized, modernized, homogenized Christianity doesn't teach that. But that went on in the first four centuries of the church very commonly, and it's still going on today in certain pockets of Christianity here in this nation and lots of places abroad. Okay? I'm just curious. um, How many of you in the room have ever been in the same room with someone you knew was possessed by a demon? Anyone here? Several of you, okay? Several of you. Um, I, I used to work, uh, when I was a young man, I used to work for uh, the, the Job Corps in Atterbury as a substitute teacher. And that was a rough place. It was all inner city kids that had come in to try to get their GED. 
and um, rough, rough place. Okay, so these people were from all over. And uh, there was this one young lady uh, that um, really seemed to have some interest in uh, what I had to say regarding spiritual matters. So I said, hey, um, we have Wednesday night service tonight. If you want, um, come with me and I'll take you to church. When she got there, uh, when we got there, it became very evident after service she, she had a demon. And uh, she was manifesting that when a couple of gentlemen in our church began to minister to her, and she began manifesting this demon. I mean, it was just, it was real obvious. And as they were praying over her, they were asking her to repeat this prayer. And when, we, when they got to the name Jesus, she couldn't do it. She just began to get real agitated and real. And they had to take her in the back room and began ministering to her because she was manifesting some weird, weird stuff. I've seen that sort of thing. Now, if you've been raised up in a, in, in a more conservative type of, of church environment, like a Methodist or Episcopalian or Baptist, you probably have never seen those things. But if you've been raised up in a, in a more Pentecostal and charismatic persuasions that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes you'll see those things and demons will manifest. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that those other uh, types of denominations won't have people that manifest demons from time to time, because here's the thing. There's people that will come into church services with a demon and you don't even know it until certain things happen in the service or they're confronted with something and then the demon manifests. Okay? So demons still exist. They're still wreaking havoc in people's lives. But we've been given authority to cast them out. All right. So back to verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And they will take up serpents. And if they... That doesn't mean you have to go out and like buy snakes and bring them in. That doesn't mean that. Okay. Doesn't mean that. It means that if, if you happen to get bit, you can do like Paul. And take up the serpent, shake it off into the fire, and you're fine. Okay. That happened to the Apostle Paul. They will take up servants, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. Here's another sign of our authority. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. These are the signs that are supposed to be following those who believe. But so many people will, as I said last week, lower their experience, or I should say lower uh, the Word of God to match their lack of experience, rather than raising their experience to match the Word of God. So they read stuff like this and they say, oh, well, that was for back then. There is no evidence at all that this passage right there was for only people back then. There's no evidence at all of that. Hermeneutically, Exegetically, you cannot convince me that that was just for back then. It was for all time because this was, this was Jesus' instructions post-resurrection to his followers from that time forward. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Praise God. So then, what I want you to understand then is God works within the parameters of partnership with his people. See, listen, uh, as the creator... God owned the earth and could delegate authority in it to anyone that he chose, okay? And he, he chose to bestow his authority upon the objects of his love, Adam and Eve, instructing them to be fruitful, to multiply, and to have dominion on the earth. And the ones, as the ones wielding that authority, Adam and Eve blew it and turned it over to Satan, who was then in control from that time forward to the time of Jesus, 
And listen, and Jesus, in a colossal victory, stripped Satan of that authority and won it back. I, I think that's a place for a thunderous praise break right there. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, you need to lean in on this point right here. Things did not automatically go back to the conditions of the Garden of Eden after Jesus' victory. Well, why is that? Well, see, demonic forces had already been unleashed all over the earth. See, it's like having a leak in your basement that causes great flooding in your basement. Well, you can fix the leak, but the water damage has already been done. And it takes a great bit of work and a process to get things back in order again. Well, even though the damage had already been done of those demonic forces being unleashed on the earth, uh, through the victory of Jesus... Mankind had now been empowered with the ability of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to defeat them and cast them out. And after Jesus won back that authority, by the way, in a move reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, God once again delegated his authority back to mankind and expects us to enforce his victory and appropriate it on the earth. And listen, if we learn how to do that, then God's kingdom advances. But if we don't learn how to do that, then Satan's works go uncontested and unchallenged by those who believe that God's just going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, regardless of what you and I do. Okay? Regardless of your involvement or mine. You see, that misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God is one of the reasons why we're in the condition that we're in as a nation and as, a, as the world. That misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God is one reason why we're in the condition that we're in as a nation because the doctrine that God is in control as if he ordains everything that happens on the earth means that we can't change anything regardless of what we do or pray. But no, God works within the parameters of partnership with his people. All right, listen. That's why we've been given given instructions to pray, to fast, and to be about the business of God's kingdom. See, we are to occupy until he comes back, praise God. Not sit back and say, well, God is in control, so I guess this is how it's supposed to be. No. Get busy doing the business of the kingdom and watch how God works through that. Praise God. As Edmund Burke once said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Praise God. Listen, although God still owns the earth, according to Psalm 24.1, and while authority has been stripped away from Satan and once again delegated back to mankind, uh, Satan has nevertheless become a usurper or a squatter. You know know what a squatter is? A squatter is someone who unlawfully occupies an uninhabited building or unused land which is a very good description of Satan's usurping of unoccupied territory 
Or in other words, an earth where mankind has failed to take his rightful place as God's vice regents. Listen, Hebrews 2, verses 7 through 8, listen to this, tells us that God crowned mankind with glory and honor and placed all things under our feet. Most, most American Christians don't think that way. Here's how most American Christians think. I'm just a lowly sinner saved by grace. I'm just supposed to grovel in the dust of my whole life and, and eat dust my whole life. That's not what God says about you. We were sinners, we're now saved by grace, and now God calls you a saint. Did you know that? God refers to you as a saint, not a sinner. You were a sinner who needed His grace. Now you're in His grace, you've experienced His grace, so by His grace you become a saint, not by any merits of your own, but by His merits you become a saint. You're not supposed to be groveling in the dust of life all the days of your life because you are a child, you're a saint, you're an overcomer in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yeah. So again, going back to Hebrews 2, verses 7 through 8, again it says, God has crowned mankind with glory and honor and placed all things under His feet? No, our feet. If you can believe, our feet. Praise God. You see, in the present time, though, we don't really see the fulfillment of that reality, however, simply because many people have a faulty understanding of the sovereignty of God And also because the modern church has been taught to have a, listen, to have a heaven mentality rather than a kingdom mentality. In other words, we're just looking to the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back and rescue us and take take us up to heaven, rather than being about the business of advancing God's kingdom while we're here. The church has been given power and authority to crush Satan's works and replace his dark kingdom with a kingdom of light. Instead, we've been trying to get off of this planet ourselves. As my friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry King, likes to say, God has been trying to get on the planet and his church has been trying to get off of it. Praise God. All right, so listen, very key statement right here. It's not as much about heaven as it is about the kingdom. It's not as much about heaven as it is about the kingdom. What do you mean by that, Pastor Andy? Well, Jesus didn't preach heaven nearly as much as he preached the kingdom. And that may come as a surprise to a lot of people. The kingdom is actually mentioned 128 times in the four Gospels alone, folks. The advancement of his kingdom was Jesus' primary message. But most Christians believe that his primary concern was just getting people to heaven. Now listen, getting people to heaven was and is of primary importance, to be sure, but Jesus' bigger concern was getting his disciples to appropriate the authority that we've been given so that the works of Satan would be crushed. 
See, over and over, Jesus tried to get his disciples to do what they had seen him doing. And he even rebuked them for their unbelief when they failed, as I was talking about last week. See, when Jesus delegated his authority um, just before his ascension back to heaven, the early church took that very, very seriously. In fact, the first four centuries of the church advanced God's kingdom with such power that, the, that, that miracles were commonplace. Miracles were commonplace in that first four centuries of the church. So much so that they literally overtook the Roman Empire in the fourth century. Praise God. Well, why then has the modern church become so weak and impotent by comparison? Well, it's because we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, to quote a popular saying. See, we've become too preoccupied with selfish pursuits, just waiting around to get to heaven, just waiting around to get to heaven, and have lost the priority of God's kingdom in the here and now as our primary concern. And one reason for this faulty mentality is the belief that God's will is already being accomplished with or without our involvement. But I say again, God works within the parameters of partnership with his people. So starting from the time of the fall until the present day, God is honoring the choices of his people to whom he delegated his authority in order to decimate the forces of hell that have been occupying this planet for the last 6,000 years. Therefore, contrary to what some people believe and teach, God is not ordaining everything that happens on this planet. Did I lose some of you on that one? God is not ordaining everything that happens on this planet. The trouble, the pain, the turmoil that we see in the world is a work of Satan, not God. Please don't come to me and accuse my father God of things like rape and murder, things that are works of Satan, and say, well, God is sovereign, so all these things are supposed... Don't tell me that. I, I will be insulted. Because that's my father you're talking about. Those are works of Satan, not God. Come on, somebody. Those, those are works of Satan. Listen, child molestation... Are you kidding me? See, if you believe that God's just ordaining everything that happens on the earth, you are left with that outcome, that you believe that God ordains child rape and molestation. That's the end of the outcome of that belief. God is not ordaining everything that happens on this earth. Those are works of Satan, not God. Okay? See, if anyone needs proof of a real demonic realm, just look around, folks, at the works of Satan's kingdom. It's all around us. The world is full of it. And it vexes God, by the way, when his people don't use the authority delegated to us to overcome Satan's evil work. God has entrusted the church with kicking Satan out and crushing his work. God's not going to do it for us. 
He's not going to do it for us. See, although hell's dominion has been thoroughly vanquished by Jesus' finished work on the cross already, that did happen. Satan and his legions of demons, as I said, are nevertheless already spread out over the face of the earth. And they're carrying out, even though they're vanquished, even though they're defeated, they're still carrying out tactical guerrilla warfare. This is why Satan is referred to in 2 Corinthians 4.4 as the, quote, God of this world. What that means is he controls the systems of this world and is still carrying out his demonic plans when God's people do not rise up and resist him. But when we do, James 7 says he has to flee. James 4.7 says he has to flee. So, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you uh, just a, a few little bullet points right now of different ways that we're told to advance the kingdom. And then I want you to help me out, okay? So, here we go. God's kingdom advances. We help advance the kingdom when we pray. If God was just ordaining everything that happens on the earth, why are we supposed to pray then? Okay? We help advance God's kingdom when we fast. Okay? And we help advance God's kingdom when we act. When we act. You know, there's people in this congregation that are doing things to advance God's kingdom in a really powerful way. And I think all of you are to varying degrees. I mean, even when you serve in the church, you're helping to advance God's kingdom. But, you know, I'll remind you of just some examples in our church. You know, again, Pam Hall. I know Pam gets tired of me talking about her all the time, but this is a, a great example of advancing God's kingdom. So she's advancing God's kingdom with incarcerated women and the work that she's doing with, with iron aprons. That's a way to advance God's kingdom. Uh, Mary Beth Klaus is advancing God's kingdom with we the people. Um, the Huff family is advancing God's kingdom with what they're wanting to do with uh, the... Uh, it's not a charter school. That's not the right name for it, is it? it, it is it? No? What's the correct name for it? Private school. So the Huff family is advancing God's kingdom by raising up a Christian private school with conservative ideals and biblical ideals. So that's a way we advance God's kingdom as an alternative to public schools um, and private schools that are funded by the state. That's another way that um, God's kingdom is advancing. So he, he'll, he'll give you a way to help advance God's kingdom, even, even if it's nothing more than serving in your church. Because that, too, helps to advance God's kingdom. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to click out of my presentation now, and I'm going to write down here uh, some ideas that you give me. What are some other ways, and I'm going to write them down here. What are some other ways, you help me, that we can act to advance God's kingdom? Who has some ideas? That's good. Share our testimony. Let me write this down. If I could type. That's great. Share our testimony. Whoops. Man, I need to take typing lessons. Um, what else? Open our homes to fellowship. Is that what you said? Okay. I'm going to make this smaller so I have room on my screen here. Okay. What else? Can you still see that okay? Whoops. What happened? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll bring it up again. Um, after um, 
after I have us, I'm back in presentation mode. Okay, what else? Open our homes to fellowship, share our testimony. What else? Financial support, absolutely. Okay, what else? What? Yes, invite people to church. Run for office, hello. Absolutely. Anything else? Read the Bible. Precisely. Raise godly kids. Man, that's huge right there. Oh, my goodness. Who else has an idea? That's great, Al. Love one another. <laughs> Why'd you look at Bill when you said that? <laughs> mm. All right, one more. What else? Thank you. Pray for the sick. Lay on, laying on of hands. Like it. Right. Okay. So none of this is going to be in your notes since I'm just now writing it down, but I'm going to bring this back up in presentation mode. And if you want to use your phones to take a picture, that's fine. I know that people do that from time to time. Come to women's group. Uh, come to women's group. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, attend services like this one where you get a different perspective on things. That's a, absolutely correct right there. So... It really is. Can you all see that okay? <clears throat> all right. Good stuff, guys. Very good. We're going to be talking more about this as uh, the series unfolds. I'm not going to leave it at this. I, I just thought taking a step back <clears throat> would really be important because, again, last week we talked about, you know, the power of declaration in our prayers. And unless you really have an understanding of your authority in Christ then your prayer life and you, you're, you're making decrees and declarations is always going to be somewhat hindered because you're always going to have that mindset, eh, I'm just a worm of a Christian, I know what I did yesterday, so you know, I don't really have the kind of authority in prayer that Pastor Andy was talking about. Not true. Let me leave you with this thought right here. Your authority in prayer has absolutely nothing to do with your merits. Should I say that again? Your authority in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with your merits. You can have blown it badly yesterday and still exercise the authority that you have in Christ because it's given to you as a gift, as a delegation of the finished work of Jesus, not your finished work. Okay, If, if we were to leave it up to you and me, none of us would be worthy to do any of this. But Jesus said, because of my finished work, now I'm delegating this authority and commissioning you to enforce my victory in the earth, not because of anything you've done, because I've taken care of your sins already. That's all been buried. That's all put on the cross. Now it's up to you to believe in what I've done for you, to have confidence in what I've done for you, and go forth now and enforce my victory, advance my kingdom, and crush the works of Satan. Yeah. Hallelujah. Stand and pray with me, please.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.